Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. This is Art Middlecoff, and I'm here with Doug Smith, who's one of the co-founders of Simply Charlotte Mason, and he and his wife, Karen, have homeschooled and graduated four children, and now he mentors other homeschoolers, and he works on the simplycharlottemason.com website. So he's someone who knows Charlotte Mason, and he knows technology. And so today we're going to talk about using technology well. So Doug, could you tell us a little bit more about your background with Charlotte Mason and your background with technology? Sure. Let me start with the, the technology side of things. Um, and I want to go back to how I was raised. I remember so well when I was a child in elementary school, I must have been six or seven years old. We would go to the library as a class, the school library once a week, and get out books that we could take home and uh, okay. read with our families. And I brought home this book on electricity and magnetism, mm. something I, I've always been just fascinated with all sorts of uh, electrical things, mechanical things, whatever, even as a young child. So I brought this book home and and I remember my dad looking through the stacks of books that I brought home to see what we might read together. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came across this book and he took a look at it and he said, I think this might be a little old for you right now. Mm. And then he looked some more and he grinned and he said, maybe not. Mm. And so we, we read a section about electromagnets. Hmm. And the next day he came home from work with a big battery and some wire and went out to his shop oh, and wow. brought a bolt in and we built an electromagnet and I was hooked. Oh, that's cool. You know, from that, it went to, you know, building a telegraph and motors and, and those kind of things. Wow. And so they recognized in me a bent towards some of these things. Yeah. And, uh, and my parents just tried to expose us to interesting things that we could get our hands on. Um, also, as an elementary school child, my mom gave me a box of old wristwatches. Here, mm -hmm. take these apart. And I took them apart and I put okay. them back together and learned a lot of, <laughs> I, to this day, I can work on little tiny things. Okay. Um, because of that, and you know, they gave me an erector set. They gave me uh, uh, an electronics kit where I could learn to uh, build electronics things. And then eventually combined the erector set and the electronics things, and, oh, wow. you know, all of those. And so... You know, as an adult, I don't have to think about, is that when I turn that screw, is it righty, tighty, lefty, loosey? It's just nature to me because yeah. of that that background I have. Yeah, and it sounds like it was, uh, you know, very hands-on. So you were building yeah. stuff with electricity, magnetism, electronics, before you understood all the theory behind it and all the yeah. physics and all the math. Um, so uh, so that's that seems like an approach that seems very... Um, similar to what Charlotte Mason, I think, would talk about with a with a hands-on experimental approach, even before you understand all of the all of the theory behind it. Yeah, the observable things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, as as I learned more and uh, got some of the theory and got some of the understanding, yeah. uh, I got into my teens. I was doing things like repairing radios and making a few dollars oh, wow. here and there for people, or oh. sometimes TVs. And uh, when I got into high school. Uh, this will really date me. We we got our first uh, single computer in yeah. high school um, when I was a freshman. And uh, one of the teachers was talking to a group of kids and said, uh, you know, if you have interest, you can come in an hour before school starts and I'll oh, teach wow. you how to use this computer. And I got in on that. Nice. Um, 
learn programming and uh, they small town school they basically made a place for me to go as far as I wanted with that they made a class for me every year so that I could continue learning in that way what kind of computer was it it was uh pdp 1170 which uh, was a central computer shared by the entire county uh, that we dialed into and a lot of the time uh, we weren't even on a screen it was on a paper okay uh, paper terminal and uh, i'm sure i'm sure we'll get to the topic of screen time a little bit but you know i'll I'll say i used this computer on paper yes and it was still addicting even though it didn't have a screen (laughs) there was some some interesting aspects in that um yeah so i get to do that and then um always fixing things uh you know i went to college for uh, electrical engineering so that i could oh, okay. uh, so i could run a homeschool publishing business <laughs> <laughs> and uh, found uh, i found a place doing uh writing for a couple of uh home automation home electronics magazines doing reviews of products things like that um, and uh ran the uh computer department for a missions organization for a while oh, wow. So all sorts of interesting things um, that put me in the place where I'm a guy who kind of is an early adopter. I look at what's out there and I like to examine it. I like to see if it's going to be useful. And my friends and and people around me tend to ask me for opinions uh, on things just because they know that's that's kind of who I am and how I'm bent and how I evaluate things. So did you, um, so you studied electrical engineering. Did you continue with programming at all? Or was that part of your studies? I did. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It it was really interesting because I liked electronics and I liked computers. Mm -hmm. And so when it was time to go to college, I had to choose. And I I really wrestled with that. And I chose the uh, electrical part of it. And I think that was the wrong choice for me, actually. Uh, (laughs) I like the mm -hmm. computer side of things better. But I came out of that um, understanding uh, how computers work. um, Yeah as well so that that was valuable good so tell me about your charlotte mason background yeah um when we first had children my wife knew that she wanted to homeschool Mm -hmm. and she told me that when she was pregnant with our first child i want to homeschool i think she knew even before that Mm -hmm. and uh, so as we uh prepared for that um at that time i was pretty hands-off uh, I, okay. I, I said, sure, we can homeschool. I support you. You go do that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that was, mm-hmm. um, and I was working outside of the home. And yeah. uh, so she, she, she led that. And she started with a unit studies approach. Okay. And um, as she did that, she found that um, she got kind of tired of all of the stuff to put all the things together yeah. to, to make it work, to hand it to the children. And mm. some of these elaborate connections they weren't getting anyway yeah mm-hmm. um but we were using um using still a lot of living books at that time we didn't know that's what they were called uh, okay and so she threw it all away and did her own thing just mm. what seemed natural and she really fell into a lot of a charlotte mason approach nice at the same time uh sonia schaefer and her husband john who yeah. uh, co-founded simply charlotte mason with us was kind of on that same journey. She had also started with a unit studies approach and had moved okay. into a Charlotte Mason approach. And so as our families are comparing notes, uh, then we began learning more about the Charlotte Mason style of things. And uh, just launching off of that foundation of living books. Nice. 
So we began to learn and go fuller into that. I absorbed a little bit of it, but at that time, Karen was still primarily the, the mm-hmm. teacher in our home. I would come in and, and do some of the subjects that were um, my specialties. I, you yeah. know, I taught the kids a little bit of electronics. I took them through a computer programming course. Oh, cool. Um, some things like that. Uh, later on, we did some things with um, business education oh, cool. um, that, I, that I got to take them through. So we did those. Um, and then as we got further along in our homeschool journey, we saw families come to us and to the the Schaefer family and and Mm -hmm. say how do you do this I kind of like what I'm seeing Mm -hmm. Uh, how does this go and and you may have heard the story before about the beginnings of Simply Charlotte Mason where it was to answer those things Sonia said why don't we put together a website Doug you know how to do that (laughs) stuff you you could build this for us and we'll put it there so we can point people there and, and not have to to answer the same questions over and over or at least have it cataloged in a nice way for them yeah. And so that that was how that started. And then as that has taken off and and, and snowballed and uh, kind of dragged us with it, I've uh, had to jump in and, and do a lot more learning on the Charlotte Mason side than I see. You know, what Karen already knew. And, and so I've I've grown in that as we've grown and as we've as I've moved out of just doing the technical things and just the website to more of running this and helping serve the the homeschoolers out there done a lot more reading and learning and studying on the, the Charlotte Mason side of things. So that you can be a mentor, so that you can be part of the work and help parents and answer questions and guide them and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, our goal is we we want to be a blessing to the families around us. Yeah. And uh, so that's part of how we're able to do that. So when you were digging deeper into Charlotte Mason yourself and reading her ideas and so on, what did you find you know, coming at it from the perspective of somebody who has a electrical engineering degree and who had been hands-on with electronics and so on, like, what did you see Charlotte Mason saying about technology? You know, she doesn't use that term, mm-hmm. but if you look carefully, you, you see some clues to what she did. She did use the term appliance, okay, and, and it's in, in a way that 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 we would uh, technology. So um, there's an interesting story in school education and it's where she's talking about curriculum and specifically for children under 12. Yeah. And she tells the story about going to a peace and war exhibit Mm -hmm. and they had these models of torpedoes. Yes. And uh, she talks about how they had these elaborate cross sections and these diagrams and, you know, all this explanation of them. And she looked at it and came away saying, I don't understand how a torpedo works yeah. or what's, what's distinct about it. And so after the event, apparently they had a dinner and she asked the person sitting next to her at dinner about that. And he was knowledgeable about it. He pulled out his eyeglasses case and used that to illustrate a torpedo. Mm-hmm. And with a, she said with a few sentences and that illustration, uh, she had a un- full understanding of it. Uh, of how it worked not full understanding but had basic understanding and she uses that example to go on and say that at least for um, starting out as a foundation with with those younger children that those elaborate models aren't really helpful yeah Mm -hmm. uh, or she sometimes called appliances or apparatus i see Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes and as as you as you read what she says about that I, i think the idea is it's too much we don't mm. just like take a bucket and dump it all out and yeah. expect that you're going to have understanding. It's that we're going to do this 
a little bit at a time. We're going to build a foundation with some basic descriptions, some line drawings, some mm -hmm. of those kind of things, and um, and then build on that. Not that the, the, there's no place for the the more complex. There certainly is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we build up to that. Yeah, I think about. I took a class one time on small engine repair. Oh, okay. And the teacher was brilliant. He um, spent a bunch of time on how a carburetor worked so that we could mm -hmm. understand that to do some work. And he just went up to a whiteboard and drew a simple diagram. And here's where the air comes in. Here's where the gas comes in. Here's how this works. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very simple. And then he said, but there's this problem. Here's how we solve it. He'd draw one little piece and he, he did a little piece at a time. Yeah. And then we went and did some physical work. Yes. Uh, actually working on some things. The next week we came back, he said, okay, now re remember the carburetor. Now we had had the simple diagram, we had built on it a little bit, and then we did that physical work, which in a way is almost a narration. It's an expression yes, exactly. uh, of what That's was right. learned. And so when he wanted to build further with that, we didn't have to do a bunch of review because we had practiced that, narrated it, if you will. And then he built on top of that. But it said that step by step to get to a yes. fuller knowledge, I think, is probably one of one of the principles I, I see her using. Um, yeah, and I like the way you describe that it's sort of like a narration, because what I like to say is that we don't learn by what we take in, we learn by what we produce. Mm -hmm. So certainly you produce based on what you take in. But but if you only sat there and heard the lecture and saw the diagram, no matter how good it was, you never really would know how to, you know, repair a carburetor or how exactly it worked until you actually started to work on it yourself. Because it's that process of producing, building, talking back, writing, whatever it is, that's where the real learning takes place. And that is true, I think, for these technology subjects as much as it is for history or literature. Yeah. And when you, you know, I told you about some of my upbringing, so much of that was that here, get your hands in there yes. and, mm -hmm. and discovery or what we might today call guided discovery. Yes. Um, here's some things in a direction. Now you go okay. figure that out. And we learn so much more when we, when we have to do it that way. Charlotte made a few exceptions um, when she was talking about using these appliances. She said, okay. with exception to the telescope, the microscope and the magic lantern. Mm. And uh, we know what a telescope is. We can see things far away. A microscope, we can see things small and close up. Most people wouldn't know a magic lantern at this point. Yeah. But it was a device where you could put uh, a picture on it and it would project it onto the wall. Okay. Um, the early versions of that were a candle and a lens, basically. Mm. But then they progressed and she used those. So kind of like an overhead projector almost. Except for not transparency. You could take something okay. that wasn't transparent. You could put a book or a picture on it. So okay. imagine using that for something like picture study in a classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she embraced some things that had educational value. And the commonality there, those were all observational tools. Okay. That for the, again, she's talking about the younger students that allow us to observe things that we couldn't otherwise do easily. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I know, for example, like with bird bird watching, she talked about using binoculars and how, you know, in the absence of binoculars, it's very difficult to to really see the detail on birds if they're alive. It's very difficult yeah. to see the detail on birds. And so, yeah, using technology as a way to allow us to see things that are alive and in their natural state. Um, yeah. We also, you know, see her writing about, you know, the latest in science. 
Yes, um, for sure. In, in her day, some of that's outdated now, but um, she was always keeping up on that. She was. Um, she was embracing uh, technologies when they came along and they were useful. So, for example, uh, when the gramophone came about. Yes. So we, we called it a phonograph here. They had the gramophone over there. Yes. Um, she was bringing in uh, records to do music study. Uh, I think it was after she died, probably, but um, the schools uh, formed kind of like a, a record sharing club. Even, yes. Uh, where they would have a, a set of records that they would pass along. Uh, so there was a, a lot of using the things around them when it made yes. sense. Yes, absolutely. And so before you had the music programs had to focus on things you could play on the piano. Um, and so they were able to shift into now giving children exposure to orchestral works that otherwise they would not be able to hear unless they went to a concert or something. So yes, yeah. she certainly, or the early PNEU was able to use records to, to open a door of discovery, almost like the microscope or the telescope, open doors yeah. of discovery. These records, gramophones, opened a door of discovery for music. I heard a really interesting story at that time. There was a, a classical music composer who um, actually made each of the, the movements in his piece uh, that he was writing under three minutes so they would fit on the side of one of the records of the oh, day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes we think today, you know, technology is, is destroying art or something like that. And you look at, you know, more than a hundred years ago, here's a composer who's saying, I'm going to take advantage of this to, to leverage my work in a way that is useful in, in the constraints of the tech that's available. Yeah. And um, so, you know, you, you've kind of talked about um, ways that Charlotte Mason and the early PNEU embraced technology with the magic lanterns and with gramophones, um, but also that there was a bit of a cautionary side as well with the elaborate model of the torpedo. Um, so, you know, as we kind of fast forward now to the 21st century and, uh, you know, the, the vast changes in technology that have taken place in Charlotte Mason's day. Have you, do you have, I mean, have you been able to kind of narrow down maybe a set of principles or key ideas that as you're mentoring families who are homeschooling to give them kind of rules of thumb or basic principles to keep in mind as they navigate technology in their families and their homeschools? Yeah, if, if we remember nothing else, it would be be purposeful in the technology that we use. Okay. Don't just de default to it because it's there and that's what everybody's using or, or whatever. Okay. And also don't just automatically shun a piece of technology as this is always bad. Okay. Let's look at how it's used and evaluate that and see, is it useful? So, you know, a lot of people are, are concerned about screens and a lot mm -hmm. of people think of screens, all of them as TV. Okay. Just pure, pure entertainment, but they okay. don't have to be. And so okay. when you look at whether it be a screen or some other piece of tech, is it a tool or is it a toy? Yes. Okay. Sometimes the answer is yes, it's both. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then it becomes, do we use it as a tool or we do, do, we, do we use it as a toy? Okay. Do we use it for enrichment or do we use it for entertainment? Mm -hmm. Do we use it to be a consumer or do we use it to be a creator? Hmm. And so we start drawing some of those distinctions about how we use things. And a, a piece of tech by itself is not necessarily automatically good or bad, but it's how we use it. And it's if we are purposeful with it 
whether or not we can navigate that successfully and have that actually enhance our education rather than detract from it. So can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by being like a consumer versus a creator with technology? Sure. So if we're going to uh, just bring up entertainment videos on a, on a tablet mm -hmm. and sit all day and just watch those, mm -hmm. that's consuming it's just pure entertainment. And I'm not, I'm not against entertainment. There's a place for entertainment, mm -hmm. but we would want to like for a child, of, of course, limit the amount of time in that. But if a child is using a computer or a tablet or something to, to write, mm -hmm. to uh, record, to shoot movies, to design art, to design physical things that they're going to 3d print, something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I need to constrain the time so much on that mm. just because it's using a piece of tech as the tool. Mm -hmm. You know, we, if, if a, a child is into gardening and they're out there using shovels and hose as a tool and that's their hobby and they're spending hours out there doing that thing. And then, you know, they bring the heart you know, the family brings the harvest in from the garden and we're going to can it. And it's going to take all day to can all this stuff and, and freeze things and preserve it. We don't say, yeah, Susie, you've had your half hour of canning for this week. I think you need to stop. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, it's because it's a useful endeavor mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it has a purpose. And uh, I, I look at technology in the same way. What what are we using it for? Is it useful? Mm -hmm. Is it is it furthering the mind? Is it furthering our skills? Is it you know, those kinds of things? So how do you kind of discern that? Because you even mentioned that uh, before screens, when you were programming with paper, <laughs> you said that there was an addictive element. And yet, uh, clearly, it was also purposeful and useful because you were learning. So how do you discern um, kind of that, you know, and you mentioned that sometimes something can be both a toy and a tool. So how do you how do you kind of discern whether a particular usage of technology by you or by children is is tool purposeful like gardening versus toy um you know even addictive how, how do you kind of tell or discern between those two because they can kind of sometimes feel similar sometimes yeah uh, in, in fact in those early days when i was learning and programming we had games on these old computers and oh, okay. we would play the games and some of that was fun but but then we would dive into the games and tear them apart and see how yeah. they were programmed and learn from that. Um, yeah. Even if it was just to modify the game so we could cheat amongst our friends right. Right. Um, right. to uh, make it look like we did better than, than we did. We would learn from that process being drawn into there. Let me, let me come at this, your question from a, a little bit of a different angle okay. from, the, from the side of maybe what a good path would be. Okay. Young children, absolutely need a ton of free play time. Mm -hmm. And so as we're laying a foundation for their lives, they need that. They need that for their social development. And they need to begin learning to keep the things that they do in balance. And so their use of technology, I think, should be very limited and very supervised. Okay. But I, I do like to see kids become familiar with things and, and a little bit of how to use that in those limitations. And so then just like we wouldn't take a toddler and say, here's the keys to the car, go drive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
they, okay, they ride the tricycle first and then the bike and maybe the lawnmower and then they go to driver's ed class. Mm -hmm. And so the next level that we give a child more freedom uh, with technology would come as they prove that they can use that well and not be mastered by it. Mm -hmm. They need to be a master of that technology. And so young kids aren't going to be able to do that. That's something mm -hmm. that we have to train. And, you know, if all they have is tech, that's going to be to the exclusion of other things. And so we need to make sure that tech is just a, a piece of all the other pieces, books and being outdoors and creating things and working with their hands and all, all of those things. It's, it's just part of the picture. It can't, mm -hmm. it can't become the whole thing for them. And, uh, and so I think they move up the levels as they merit that, as they show that they can control it, control themselves and uh, handle it well. So what does that look like, say, for um, for a young child, a three-year-old, five-year-old, eight-year-old? What what would be, you know, a possible way that a parent could think about that limited, moderated use of technology? What might that look like? So we might use it together as a family. Okay. So maybe we're going to listen to some music mm -hmm. uh, together, but maybe we'll allow the child to learn how to select the music and press play. I see. Okay. So they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're learning how to actually run that. Maybe we, we FaceTime with grandma. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want a child to know how to call 911. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was a kid, we had play phones in our school and actually uh, did these practice things to learn phone etiquette and how to call for help. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. you know? And so in our, in our homeschools, I think we need the same kind of thing. We need to be able to do those, but it's not, don't hand a, a five-year-old a smartphone and say, here, this is yours, go, go at it. Yeah. But let's learn a, a few things about how to use that and how to use that in a, in, in a way that makes sense for them. So those are all ba basically very kind of tool oriented scenarios, you know, here, yeah. here's how, here's how you search on music or play a particular song. Here's how to start up a, a video call with a relative, maybe how to, how to navigate the controls for some practical, purposeful outcome. You know, what, what, what would you say about, you know, somebody who says, boy, you know, for like, there's just an hour where I just need to like, as a parent, you know, I need to like take care of something. So I'm just going to hand an iPad to my child for an hour to just play, you know, my five-year-old, my six-year-old, my eight-year-old to just play a game or to watch a cartoon um, just so that I can be, you know, not distracted. What, what are your thoughts on using technology as kind of a babysitter? You're just trying to get me in trouble stepping on toes here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, each family is different and they're going to mm -hmm. have to, to, to judge how the dynamics work out. Honestly, when we had little kids, there were times when we did that. We tried not to do it often. And, but here's the thing. What do you give them to watch if, mm -hmm. if you do that? Um, I think the twaddle principle applies here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you use Charlotte Mason's uh, analogy uh, of, you know, a feast, we don't give our children just a bowl of candy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because then they're not, not going to want to eat the good things. Just like we want to give good living books. You know, we, uh, sometimes we hear, hear parents say, you know, I, I, my kids are reading these things. I'm glad they're just reading and they're just awful. 
Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it's training the palate. It's training the taste. And mm -hmm. so I would disagree with that approach to books. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. That good living books are going to develop a taste for more good living books. Mm -hmm. um, and in the same way with, even if it's a piece of entertainment, may, maybe it's a movie that, that is purely entertainment and it's, um, and it's appropriate for the, for the kids, but is it good story? Mm -hmm. Is it well-developed? And there's a, some of those entertainment things are a form of art and they can be done well and they can be done poorly. So let's have some purpose in how we use those. Let's evaluate what those things are and how, how we're using them. And kids need our, our interaction. You know, they need our interaction. They need lots of playtime. But I understand with parents, there's times when, when they may need something that's a distraction just to make something happen, get something done. Uh, I would say do it purposefully, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned the point about books that, um, you know, everything that, that we give our children awakens a taste for that thing over time. And so if you if you're consistently giving your children, like you said, twaddly literature, that will increase their appetite for that. And uh, so there's so there's no neutral action. And I think that probably applies also, you know, to what tech tech content is given, even in that moment of, okay, I need a break. I need to give my child something to look at, but it's understanding that your child's going to get a taste for whatever you show. And so you have to be intentional about that and think very carefully about that. Yeah. Another area where I see that a lot is some of the little online quote educational games. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and the parents will often give those to their kids as well, at least as educational. And I think the twaddle principle applies there also. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's educational, but is it helpful? Is it really doing something that you want it to do or not? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and then when kids get older, um, you know, the, the FaceTiming grandma kind of turns into now you're a teenager and you have friends and the way that your friends communicate is on Snapchat or Instagram. So what was once, uh, you know, pretty straightforward family Zoom call now becomes this very complex web of relationships over a variety of platforms. Um, what what are your thoughts on on social media and that dimension of technology for both, you know, young people and for families? What what do you how do you see that playing with this dynamic of being purposeful and, and constructing or con consuming versus creating with technology? Yeah, so um, social can be very helpful and it can be very detrimental also. Um, you know, one of the, and, and I think that's one of, first of all, younger kids, there's, there, there's a reason why most of the social platforms don't allow younger kids on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's some laws against that and, and so on, and, and they're not ready for that kind of interaction anyway. But when they're old enough and they're using that, I think we need to help our kids learn to use those things well. So part of that would be to understand the dangers. Uh, mm -hmm. And I and and yeah, there's a safety online thing. We need to have relationships with our kids, so that if somebody approaches a child and and says, "Hey, will you meet me somewhere?" Mm -hmm. Somebody they don't know, they need to know that that's something to watch out for. They mm -hmm. need to know to come to the parents when when something like that happens. But also, what I mean by some of the safety or dangers, they they need to understand that on social media, 
people are always putting their best face forward mm-hmm. and there's a danger in comparison with other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and people naturally want to compare with other people and it's rarely helpful mm-hmm. right. and so uh, social media amplifies that and makes it worse because mm-hmm. of everybody uh, only putting their best out there for the yeah. most part yeah. um, and so it would be easy for a kid to see wow look at all my friends they're all successful they're all great they're all beautiful yeah and and look at and look at me so we can help them understand that it can be obviously a time sink mm-hmm. social mm-hmm. media is designed to keep us there mm-hmm. uh, they want us to to stick they want us to keep coming back and uh, they keep as you look at one thing they give you glimpses of other things they learn what you like and try to show you more of that to keep you on the platform so they can mm-hmm. advertise to you so kids need to understand that they need to understand the mechanics of what those platforms are trying to do and how they work and as i was saying before we we give kids more freedom uh, release the reins a little bit as they prove that they can use those things in a responsible way that applies to social media also and uh, help them understand it help them monitor it help them have a good balance in in their life as they're doing that but you know on the positive side social media is a place where um, we connect with people we love mm-hmm. grandparents family that are distant mm-hmm. Sometimes just the people around you, there was an article, it's been a lot of years ago, um, in the online magazine, The Verge, it was called A Year Without the Internet. Hmm. And uh, one of their reporters took a year off completely disconnected. Mm -hmm. And he said, as he went into it, he was looking forward to getting away from these bad habits that he developed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what he found that when he was offline, that he was able to develop new offline bad habits. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that replaced them, but he also found that he was disconnected socially, hmm. because so many of the things that happen in real life, where we really get together now, are organized through some of the social media channel, channels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so there's there's the good side to it; those connections. You know, um, well, there's podcasts here. We're recording a podcast. Yes, I hope it's right. It, it's a good thing for people that that some of us do podcasts. Right. Um, right. Our, um, we have uh, some Facebook groups where people can come and get help with homeschooling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, a bunch of moms at our church who have a group just for the moms to come alongside each other and help each other out. Those are mm-hmm. really good, good uses of it, good things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why, how do we, um, you know, how do you kind of find that, that balance? Because you mentioned that the, plat- that the platforms are designed to keep us on them. How do we kind of find or, or mentor our children to reap the benefits, but not get caught up in, you know, a, a platform that, as you said, you know, is designed to make people stay because the longer they stay, the more advertising they see. And, and um, that's how the platforms stay in business is by getting people to see the ads. You know, how do you, how do you help navigate that or help kids to navigate that or to know when they're succeeding or failing in that process? So the younger kids are, the more supervision, I would say, they need mm-hmm. as they are mm-hmm. using those tools. Maybe we set time limits to mm-hmm. help establish good habits. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as they get older, then it's that awareness, helping them to understand how those um, platforms work. You know, if a, if a kid is kind of interested in tech and how some of those things work, I might uh, have them read a, uh, a book like Design to Stick, which mm. is uh, um, for software developers and developing mm -hmm. systems that make people keep coming back. It's, it's mm -hmm. kind of a, a manual for how those things are done. Mm -hmm. um, the more we're aware of, the more we're aware of how, well, even um, it might be useful to study how advertising works. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because the more awareness we have of, of what is being done toward us, the easier it is for us to recognize that when we see it. Yeah. So, so you're, so kind of the, the um, understanding of the ideas behind what's going on in this dynamic of technology, because I think a lot of children and teenagers especially can feel like their parents are just arbitrarily denying them <laughs> access to fun and they see that their peers have this fun and they feel that they are that they are unjustly singled out and denied access to a better life that everybody else can have and um and so but it doesn't seem arbitrary or unjust if they understand the why and like you said there's many good books that talk about the psychology of social media the psychology of of uh, of how software is designed how advertising works and so i think you're suggesting that maybe having your teenagers read those books can help them now be making their own wise decisions instead of thinking that it's just a black and white thing of you know mom or dad says no and it and there's no reason for it is that is that fair it is uh, i think there's another important piece of that is at the very younger ages um, you can avoid some of those later battles by what you do in the earlier times okay and what do little kids do they imitate what they see their parents doing. That's right. That's right. Right. And so if a parent is always on the phone, yes, uh, on Facebook or Instagram or something, and the child is trying to talk to them and yes. they're not giving the full attention to the child, the child's going to imitate that. That's right. The, you know, what child doesn't, you know, pick up a, a cardboard box or a, you know, a brick or something and pretend it's their cell phone. Yes. Um, we we even saw over at a store recently that there was a playset. You know, you know the little kids' kitchen playset. This particular one came with with a set of boxes so they could play Hello Fresh. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, it's that that active imitation. Um, and so, if the parents are having balance to the tools that they use, the tech around them, if if a kid sees a parent reading books. Mm. The kid's probably going to be reading some books. If the kid's mm. seeing uh, the parent going outdoors and enjoying nature, some of that's going to rub off. Yes. And so that's why Charlotte Mason puts so much attention to habits. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you develop those habits in the early years, whether it be technology or other things, we're laying those foundations for the smooth and easy days later on. Yes, um, mm -hmm. and so th that applies to some of those battles that we hear about with with teens. Some of that can be avoided. I see. One thing that uh, so I talk to a lot of parents who wrestle with the fact that they don't see eye to eye with their spouse, 
And so they want to maybe impose some of these controls, and yet the spouse doesn't think they're necessary and wants to give more freedom or maybe less freedom, but it's usually more freedom. How, what advice would you give to a parent who's, who's, who's got a different opinion from, from um, his or her spouse on this question? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Not just in technology, but all of life. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, those same things apply to how we discipline in the home mm. or um, the way we do our finances. Mm. Um, and so if uh, spouses are not on the same page, it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. It's going to mm -hmm. be hard in, in many, many areas of life. And so um, what I would recommend to those parents is to set some time aside mm. and, and start meeting together specifically mm. to talk about those things, mm. to get an understanding of each other's goals. And is this just a default behavior or are we being purposeful? So maybe mm. one parent's explaining that to the other and maybe the other parent's explaining, listen, you have a lot of fear about this thing, but it's not so fearful. Let me help you understand that. And so it goes both ways. I see. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have a, a an understanding, if you don't set goals together, it's going to be a rough road. Mm. Not just in tech, but in in many many things. Mm. So um, so it sounds like your your kind of advice is to break kind of break away, maybe spend some time. I would, yeah. Is it is this some is this something that would even be worth um, like if you're really stuck with a spouse on this topic? Is this something even worth reaching out to a pastor or to a counselor or something to to for help in terms of maybe mediating or or is that overkill or what do you think? No, it's not overkill because mm -hmm. that affects the entire atmosphere of the home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you can't come to agreement or and maybe you're not using terminology that each other understands and you, mm -hmm. you may need some help connecting mm -hmm. uh, to finding some common ground that you can build on and helping each other consider things that they may not have considered. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really about that open communication and, uh, and, and gaining understanding of each other and coming together and say, this is what's going to, you know, I remember, I remember as a kid, you know, some of those funny situations where I'd ask my dad for something and he'd say, go ask your mom. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I'd go and ask my mom, she said, go ask your dad. Mm -hmm. you know, and I mm -hmm. went back and forth a couple of times and we all mm -hmm. laughed about it. And it was funny. Mm -hmm. um, you know, take, take that and amplify it for more serious situations. Mm -hmm. Um, and and think about how disastrous that can be and uh the mixed signals that we're we might be giving a child mm. so um you know you mentioned that you know there's this process of uh, of entrusting like once once as your child's growing older once they're able to kind of master and not be mastered by a certain element of technology that then they can move up to kind of the next level, be entrusted with more. You kind of describe that process. Um, but the interesting thing is I know of adults who struggle mightily with just what you're describing in terms yeah. of uh, using phones, you know, um, going out to dinner with friends and, and it's difficult to make it through an entire dinner without 
somebody picking up their phone and yeah. and using it and um and so there's devices for adults there's a little phone safe that you can buy that has a timer on it and you put your phone in it and those are not designed for teenagers those are designed for people like you and me where you have the yeah. kitchen and you put your phone in there you lock it um so how you know um if it's how do we deal with something that that even as adults many of us are mastered by something and yet we're trying to tell our children to not be mastered by it like how where, where where do you know what do you suggest for adults to to find you know their own their own balance of 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 uh modeling proper use of technology and and you know polite etiquette healthy yeah. mentally emotionally healthy use of technology you know it comes down to purposefulness again okay mm -hmm. uh, um and sometimes we have to step back and look at our lives and what we're doing and say, are these things I'm doing, are they the best for my family? Mm -hmm. And as adults, we may need accountability with, mm -hmm. with other adults. If we have older children, we might have accountability with our children. Okay. We, mm -hmm. we may admit to them, this is a struggle for me too. Let's work on this together for, for teens and such. But some things that I've seen done that can mm -hmm. be helpful I know one family where their phones have a bedtime. Okay. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so after a certain time, they have a basket where yeah. phones mm -hmm. go mm -hmm. or a place where they charge. And uh, after a certain time, they go there, they get silenced. So there's no draw to them. Um, I know some families who have the same kind of thing, mealtimes. No devices are allowed at the mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. um, they need to be silenced or not brought with you or some who even have a, a little basket. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a, a game that some people play, adults um, mm -hmm. play at restaurants that they call a phone stack. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it's everybody puts their phone in on the stack and the first one who grabs their device pays for dinner. Ah, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. you, you could play that game at home with the, you yes. know, the first one that does the dishes or yes. uh, some other creative things. You can, you can, you can have fun with it mm -hmm. in a way that, that makes the point and, and, shows that you are, are giving priority to people yes that's really that's really what it's about the people mm -hmm. around us those we love what are, what is our tech doing to them and what is it showing them about how we value them or not yeah um and i and i can see your point about saying that um you know how you manage things in the early years can set you up for either easy times or challenging times in the teen years because if you just suddenly announced to your 16 year old okay the phone goes in the basket at dinner time and there's been no background leading up no sharing of ideas no, context, no books yeah. read no learning about the impact of technology or how it's addictive right? and, if, and you just suddenly just announce this rule that's going to be much more difficult than if you have consistently modeled people first face-to-face -face time technology used very purposefully in limited intentional ways and so on. So, um, so I guess for anyone listening to this, you know, the, the early years really matter yeah. in terms of setting these, these values. And I know for me, you know, you talk about the benefits of, of social media and I know I used to kind of look at alerts all throughout the day and I stopped a couple of years ago, I stopped that practice and uh, I just have one, chunk of time at the very, at the oh, very yeah, end time, of my time day. compartmentalizing is a, is a great tool to help control those things too yeah and so i just have like this is my time slot i have one session i go in i process everything 
and then I'm done. And then I don't think about it for another 24 hours. And um, so then I have I have 23 and a half hours distraction free, and then 30 minutes to pick up just some of the benefits of, of, of the you know, connection on social media that you were talking about. Yeah. And I've heard of a camp um, where um, where the, the youth, they have one hour a day where they can use their phones. They're kept in a separate cabin and they're kind of locked up and you get yeah, one hour where you can come in and call home and stuff like that. But then outside of that, you know, the, the rest of the 23 hours, you're outdoors, you're doing other activities, you're kind of focusing on people first. So that's a way to kind of not throw out the baby with the bathwater, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, um, you know, what what would be kind of you know for somebody who is concerned about the risks and maybe has even struggled with addiction to technology himself or herself and and wants to take a path of just saying i'm just going to just eliminate all tech what what would you you know is that do you think that's a fine option or do you think that's a bad i mean what 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 risks is is there is there a downside of excluding screens and tech completely you know what would what, what would you say to somebody who said you know it's easier for me to just eliminate it altogether some people may need to do that okay um, and mm -hmm. that, that's going to depend on your your family dynamic and who you are and, and what kind of issues you have uh -huh. but there are some downsides we live in especially if we're talking about um, our children not having any access not learning how to use any of those tools we live in a society where technology is everywhere yeah. So, you know, you might say, well, you know, my child's not going to go into a tech field. They're interested in auto mechanics. Well, all the auto mechanics I know, and I, I know several, uh, all have to use computers. Mm -hmm. That's part of their diagnostic tools. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. part of how they do their billing when they run the business. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, you know, my child just wants to be a farmer. Mm -hmm. When you start getting into farming of any large scale now, there's the uh, first of all how do we how do we sell and market our products that's usually done through the internet yes um larger farms are usually have a, a gps on the combine and they're uh, yes they're evaluating yields and fertilizer for very small sections at a time i've seen some some farms around here using drones mm. for uh monitoring their fields and 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 things like that and so it's just interwoven into all, all these things that we do. And so there's a usefulness to having base knowledge and base skill. Yes. And you skill. Know, even if you're mm -hmm. not going to be in a technology field so that you're, mm -hmm. you're not going to be just completely lost. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about our kids. So whatever career or, or life they go into that they're not going to be completely lost and, and, and functioning. And it, there's an advantage career-wise to being able to know those things, to being able to uh, work remotely, yes. to uh, collaborate with people using technology tools, because that's how companies are working right now. So anybody who's going to go out and get a job probably is going to need at least some measure of that. I've heard some parents say things like, um, my kids can learn computers when they get into college. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't need any of it now at home mm -hmm. because technology changes so fast. Mm. Um, it would just be a waste um, mm. and, and they can learn it later. And I would disagree with that mm -hmm. um, because of those set, getting those foundational skills. 
there are, you know, I talked about my upbringing and, and that learning the, the first computers that we had at my high school back in the mm -hmm, 1970s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, those, the basic troubleshooting skills yes. have served me through life. And yes. uh, those are tools that I use almost every day, still to this day, um, that came out of learning to program computers. Yes. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think um, there's a lot example, that applies and carries forward. Yeah. I mean, my daughter, um, you know, wants wants to be a farmer. And so she went to uh, she's starting her junior year as an ag uh, agricultural business major. And yet if I if I had said, OK, you can learn about computers in college, like her freshman ec economics class that she had to take to go into agricultural business everything was done in spreadsheets like you didn't yeah you didn't turn in first of all nothing was done on paper and uh and all of your assignments were done by creating graphs and doing things on spreadsheets and i think of how immensely challenging would that have been for her if her first ever time using a spreadsheet was with the pressure of all the other new things that are happening, particularly as a homeschooler going you know because she was homeschooled all the way through high school, going to college and all of the pressures of being around suddenly students, professors, deadlines, you know, living away from family and then being told, OK, all of your academic success is based on a tool that you have never even used before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how how uh, to me, that's like, you know, Charlotte Mason talks about despising the children. I mean, how how is that loving our children if we don't give them familiarity with the tools that they're going to use in college or to fill their to do their taxes or to pay their bills or yeah. to join their condo association or to buy a house i mean all of that is done with tech right it is yeah and, and one of the things that i find is that people who have very little or no background in tech at all see computers as something that does something to them mm. And so when something goes wrong, this computer is doing this thing to I me. I see. Yes. Whereas people who have more background and more understanding and skill look at it when something goes wrong as, oh, what happened that made that? Yes. That that do that. I'm going to investigate a little bit and figure that out so that yes. doesn't happen anymore. Yes, that is so true. And um, I have found that um, working with technology myself has helped me to be a better problem solver in non tech yes. aspects of life, you know, because when, because I think that's very true when things happen, instead of just saying there's mystery, it's like, well, what, what let's, let's trace the cause and effect. Let's trace, you know, let's the, break it down into pieces. And yes, exactly. Walk through them step-by-step step, eliminate so, things. And, yeah. yeah. So I think learning to program is a very powerful way to develop reasoning and cognitive and troubleshooting and problem solving skills that are useful in many dimensions of life. So what what so you talked about skills. I love that word. I think um, skill kind of ties in with this concept of using tech to create and not to consume. What are some of the key skills that you think um, a wise parent like when when you think of a, of, of a child you know, graduating from homeschool as a senior at 18, whether that person's going to be an auto mechanic or a homeschool mom or a electrical engineer, what are what are the basic skills that you think 
a parent should strive to teach their children or have them, what skills should a child have at competency in before leaving home, in your opinion? And are you talking in general or just technology skills? I'm talking technology specifically. Yeah. This applies to more than tech, but I think one of the big things we want to to train our kids in is to be self-learners. Okay. Mm-hmm. How to get answers. Yeah. And uh, for example, uh, if you're going to go and Google something to find an answer, um, I don't know if you've ever ever seen where somebody will like struggle. I can't find the answer to this. I can't find the answer to this. And somebody else will will go and Google something, and there's the answer. Yes. Um, because they've learned how that yes. search engine works and yes. what it's looking for. Um, I've seen the same kind of thing equivalent in books. Okay. Uh, you know, technical manuals and, and that kind of thing. It's, and uh, somebody asked something and I'd look it up in the book and how did you find that? I stole over it. <laughs> you okay. know, well, I, I had become familiar with the terminology and I knew yes. how to use the index in the book. And so how to get answers. That's one troubleshooting skills that comes from doing. Yes. Um, and I think it's good to expose kids to um, at least a little bit of computer programming. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be their bent and they may struggle with it, but having yeah. a little bit of exposure, um, some may want to go further with that. Now, does that have to be like sitting down and typing code? No, it doesn't. It could be um, working with um, Lego Mindstorms robots and yes. mm-hmm. dragging programming structures around visually mm-hmm. to make a robot do something. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of uh, interesting ways that that can be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what other, so, so I love your, your point about being kind of self-learning. It's even almost kind of like being self-reliant or being a good researcher. And, Self-feeding. Yeah, and I think that um, part of that may be as simple as just sitting down. Well, like if, 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 um, if my child comes to me with a problem, instead of me just, oh, I'll Google that, here's the answer. What if I take my child alongside and say, okay, here's what I do when I have a question like that. Here's, here's how I, here's the search terms that I use. Here's how I evaluate the results that came back because these things that we just have learned over the years, we kind of assume everybody knows them. Um, but inviting our children through the process can help them to, to pick up these techniques that we've gained through experience. Um, that doesn't happen in lesson time. It happens just in the course of real life. Yeah. Um, I ran into this error. This computer is doing this weird thing. How do we figure this out? Come along and let's let's do this together. And I'll show you how I debug this problem. The computer is not a magic black box that's doing stuff to us. It's a, it's just a device that's engineered, and so therefore we can figure out how how it was engineered. What what are some other skills? What about things like typing? What about um, documents, email, spreadsheets? Where do you think those fit? In a, in a Charlotte Mason homeschool? With our kids, one of the things we did uh, as they were older and doing written narrations, we allowed them to type some, type some of their narrations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we did some um, typing tutor software so they could learn the basics yes. of typing. I think it's a mm-hmm. valuable skill mm-hmm. uh, to have. Um, as they were um, doing their own little projects and things as they were teens uh, our kids were doing writing and so they were learning how to use word processors mm-hmm. um, as they were organizing things i would teach them how to use a spreadsheet to yes, organize right. and to do calculations and what you know i'd see them like 
with a calculator doing something over and over and over again uh, that's a good time to say uh, why don't we learn how to use a spreadsheet together okay mm -hmm. here's, here's a here's a tool that will make this uh, faster for you so two questions about that on the spreadsheet is there a place for formal instruction so does it make sense to have a class whether it's um, whether it's through a co-op or whether it's through just a home lesson or whether it's through, um, you know, a cottage school, having a high school class specifically on, you know, spreadsheets or basic programming. Do you think there's a place for that? I do. Um, and it depends on the family. Our family didn't need that because I okay. was teaching those things. Um, but it's like any other skill. Yeah. If, uh, if our kids want to learn some skill that we don't have, Yes. We find experts in that skill to teach them. And that might be a relative that we know. Okay. That might be a book. That might be some videos. That might be somebody online who can teach that that skill in some way. Or it might be a local co-op or a homeschool group or something like that where you're taking turns teaching different things. And so those there's really nothing special about those topics because they're using tech. They're just like anything else where we want to learn a skill that we don't know how to teach or we learn it together. So if you're, so, so, um, so if you're like, um, say you're listening to this and you're like, wow, okay, I see that, you know, my kids, you know, should learn how to use a spreadsheet, but I don't know how to use a spreadsheet. So would you advise that parent to find someone else to teach their child? Or would you advise that parent to teach herself first or would you advise that parent to kind of do a learning journey together with their child? Like, what do you, what do you recommend? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all good, good approaches. And it depends yeah. on the, the person in the family dynamic. You, if you really feel helpless in that, ask your smartest friend the, who, who seems to have a handle on those things okay. uh, you know, yeah. for some advice. How, how might I go about that? And they maybe can recommend some resources for that. I know our, um, our local community college has summer classes that mm -hmm. anybody can go to without being enrolled otherwise. And they have things like spreadsheets and basic computer skills and, and things like that. Um, I could see a, a parent and a team going to one of those together. Um, mm. If you're, if you're good self learners and go find some resources and, and do that yourself, but learning together is always a great option. Yeah. My wife is, um, looking at possibly um, being like the treasurer for figure skating club. And that would involve some tracking stuff and financial software and spreadsheets. And she said, maybe I should take a class on that. Yeah. And uh, that's the interesting thing about if a parent goes and takes a class on some of, on some tech related subject, it actually has two benefits. I mean, it enriches that parent's own ability to take on new responsibilities and either volunteer or professionally um, and just navigate life with a bit more ease and also to be able to pass that skill on to their child. So it's, um, so it's a yeah. useful, you know, it's not. And plus, away. plus we fear less that, that which we yes. understand. Yes. Um, and so that's helpful there too. But it will even think about like uh, teens who want to have a summer job. Yeah. Think of all the opportunities they might have for jobs that aren't as traditional as mowing a lawn oh. um, where uh, I know teens who have started writing mm. and uh, created books and began to sell those through uh, Amazon and uh, 
I know teens who have done web design work and uh, uh, creating art for um, for book illustrations. Mm. Uh, some of them have done web design. Mm. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some of them has, have uh, uh, been hired as virtual assistants for business people to just mm. uh, do tasks for them. You know, so it's not just the uh, the skill for later in life. It might be uh, for some of those things that uh, older kids are going to be starting to get into and develop their their skills that may turn into careers for them. Yeah, skills are valued, right? No matter what age you are, if you have a skill, yeah. um, that those will be valued. And that's a good point. Those skills can be valuable even for a teenager to both professionally in the, and even to volunteer or to help others or to, to give back. Yeah. Um, what 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 would you say to the parent who says, okay, yeah, I love to have give my child the opportunity to do some web design or or whatever, but I'm just terrified that if they're if they're sitting at a computer connected to the internet so that they can start doing web design, they're just open to all kinds of ideas that could come in through the internet, um, all kinds of fake news and negative websites, um, all kinds of kind of social predators, all kinds of, um, you know, in peer influence. And it's like we, we homeschooled because we wanted to create an environment where we could pass along our values. And if I allow my child to like access be on the internet so that he can develop these skills, I, I've suddenly placed him in the in the middle of kind of the wild west of people and influences and ideas and i you know at least in a school you're in a building and you're in a room that's kind of like closed off but when you're on the internet suddenly you're in touch with like radicalizing people and you're in touch with like violence and videos and all how do you kind of um let your child learn some of these skills without dropping them in the middle of a combat zone so again, it's that graduated approach. Okay. When they prove mastery of it, then there's more freedom. Otherwise, it's more supervised. But I think more importantly, and this isn't unique to technology, um, when we train our, our kids, we need to train them that there are biases in the way mm -hmm. that we all approach things. We need to teach them as part of their education the other sides of things that we may disagree with mm -hmm. so that they don't leave our homes and all of a sudden whoa i didn't know this was out there okay and i don't know how to confront this i don't know how to think about it i don't know how to think critically and, and deal with this mm -hmm. so um i know with our kids that was one of the things that that we did as part of part of education we were reading books from different perspectives okay. and mm -hmm. uh and certainly we would say this is what we believe about this but here's what others are saying about that. And here's why we agree with this, or here's why we disagree with this. And to develop those critical thinking skills and to, to know that people don't all come from things, come at things from the same perspective and that they come at things with a, certainly a bias. We all have biases. Mm -hmm. and, um, and if we recognize that, that, that's I think helpful in the way that we discuss things and agree and disagree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So any any kind of, um, you know, gotchas or warnings that you might want to offer kind of as we start to wrap up? Yeah, um, there are, you know, when we're talking about the internet, there are filters available. 
Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes your uh, the router that you have for your whole house, you can turn a filter on that yes. does the whole thing. With uh, so, do you recommend kids? using that? I mean, do you recommend like if you have a router? Do you recommend um, exploring those kinds of options for filtering? I think you and... should look into it and see if that okay. uh, is something that's helpful to you. Mm -hmm. um, when kids get to be uh, older teens and, and and beyond there's also some accountability tools okay that they can use uh, um, instead of just a filter there's some tools that will report to an accountability partner okay where you've been on the internet for okay example. and mm -hmm. that could be a parent and children it could be uh um, among peers can can keep each other accountable all mm -hmm. sorts of ways to do that so there's some tools out there that can be used and the other thing i would say is reward what you want more of mm -hmm. okay okay so this is one that always gets me in trouble but i'll mm -hmm. say it anyway if you ever go you go into a restaurant and uh or a store and the little kids are they're fussing they're crying they're whining and the parent hands them the phone or the tablet you know here do this and, and so i've had parents say uh, you don't know what it's like yeah i do uh, we've been there but what you're doing when you hand the child that device when they're they're whining and crying is you are rewarding that behavior yes so what do you we get more of what we reward mm -hmm. and uh, uh there was a time with our kids i remember we went to a restaurant and they were behaving in that way and we had ordered our food and uh this is where natural consequences can come in instead i announced to the kids um you're not acting in a way that that we can have the privilege of being out to eat. Hmm. Um, and so we're going to have to, we're going to have to leave. We're not going to be able to be here and have the meal. And so my wife took the kids out and I went up and paid for the meal that we didn't get. Hmm. I had ordered it and um, we went home. Hmm. Hmm. Never had to do that again. Hmm. It only took, it only took one time. And then, but that's really hard to do. It's hard hmm. to uh, be firm when we want to nurture our children. Yes. Uh -huh. um, but the firmness pays off in good habits and uh, rewards over and over and over again later on. So, yeah, it's uh, be purposeful and uh, reward what you want more of. Yeah, I think especially in the Charlotte Mason community where where we hold to such a high view of the child and there's such an emphasis on love for children that maybe a blind spot that we can have in this community is that need to be firm and that need to sometimes say or do the thing that's going to be disappointing to the to the children you know getting up and leaving the restaurant like i can imagine that there might have been some tears when when you did that but nobody you weren't doing it in anger nobody's getting hurt um but but it, it's teaching natural consequences. And if we as parents don't have the courage to take actions like that, I think it leaves our children at a disadvantage. It does, yeah. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.